Welcome to the Beltline Church of Christ podcast. We're so glad you found us. Please take a second and hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified of these weekly podcasts. Most of all, we hope this podcast will help you take your next step with Jesus. If you want to know more about us, you can visit us at www.beltlinechurchofchrist.org. Here's today's lesson. We've been talking about come and see Jesus. Come and see. And this is a, a calling to each one of our hearts. It's a, it's a calling that we read over and over again in the New Testament as, as people were telling others, you've got to see what this man has done. And they started to become convinced that he wasn't just a man at some point. You know, as we go through the book of John today, we'll be in chapter 4, verses 43 through 54, if you'd like to uh, open your Bibles there. But I want to read at the end of this book what John has to say about the signs and wonders. He says, listen, there are a lot of signs and wonders that I'm going to write about, that I've written about in this book. And, and listen to the, the purpose of this book. He says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you will have life by the power of his name. It says the purpose of miracles, the purpose of these signs is to produce faith in your heart so that then you will enjoy eternal life, so that you will then have life. And so this is uh, the thought that I hope that we can enter into this passage in John 4 with recognizing that these signs are pointing us to a person, a very specific person, Jesus Christ, because he's calling us to a deeper faith. Come and see. Come and see. What is a deeper faith? How will it feel when we have uh, gone deeper in our faith with Jesus Christ? How does a deeper faith affect others? What does it really look like? I think somehow we often close our eyes to the needs of people around us and instead we focus on our own wants and desires and then we feel empty and we don't know why we feel empty. We search for meaning but we never find it outside of faith in Christ. We'll just continue to grasp after thing after thing. That's why the scriptures teach that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you need more substance in your life, if you need more evidence of God's presence, I want to encourage you to deepen your faith. And the scriptures tell us, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When we listen to the word of God, he will grow faith in our hearts. Just as these people that we're going to read about today, uh, they heard Jesus. They heard the word himself. And they listened to him and they gained faith because of it. They experienced miracles in their lives, which confirmed the words that he was saying and that his followers later would say. So let's read our text together this morning. John chapter 4, verse 43. At the end of the two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. Do you understand why they're welcoming him? They've seen him do Miracles. They've seen what he can do. They've witnessed his power. And so now they're excited that he's coming back to Galilee. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. Remember, this is where he had turned the water into wine. 
There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So some of those who had been in Jerusalem, some of those who had witnessed the signs and miracles Jesus had done there, they've come back. Obviously, they've spoken to this, this uh, government official, this nobleman. They, they've spoken to him, and now he needs a miracle. His son is about to die, and he says, my hope is in this, this Jesus who my friends, who these people who I know have told me he can do miracles. And so he goes. Now, when it says he goes, okay, let's remember, this is a 20-mile walk. He doesn't jump in the car. It doesn't take him a short time. It's a 20-mile walk, and he takes on that journey. Why? Because he's desperate. He desperately needs a miracle. He desperately need, He's out of options with his son, with trying to save his son. And so he needs this miracle in his life, and he's heard that Jesus can provide this. Verse 48. Verse 47, when he heard Jesus was coming from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum and heal his son who was about to die. He went and begged Jesus. And Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And Jesus told him, go back home, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever just suddenly disappeared. And that moment, the father realized that it was the very same time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. You know, when you, when you read this text, sometimes it's unremarkable. You think, yeah, well, Jesus did miracles. He, he did amazing things that, that helped people. And sometimes it's easy for us to focus on the woman at the well in the first part of this chapter, which is a wonderful story in itself. But I think that we need to really recognize what happened in this experience with Jesus. I think that we really need to open our minds and think deeply about this important Bible passage that really gives us insight to what faith is and even uh, that will deepen our faith in Jesus. First, we've got to become aware. You see, life-giving faith, it starts with reason. Life-giving faith always starts with reason. You reason in your mind, could this be true? You, you compare it against other things you know that is true, and then you decide which you will go with. You choose to put your faith because of a reason. This man had heard others say that Jesus could do miracles. He put his faith in it, and he went towards Jesus. Now, let's be clear. This man is not coming to Jesus at this moment to accept him as, as Lord and Savior. That's, that's not what he's doing. Okay? He had been told about Jesus, and he was desperate. He needed a miracle for his son, and so he goes to this man who possibly can do a miracle because he's heard that he's done them before. And so he goes to Jesus. This is, this is what he's doing. He, he's coming to someone that he thinks of as, as Gandalf, okay? or, or Miracle Max. 
That's, that's what he's thinking of. And he's thinking, okay, this person can, can help me, and so I'm going to go and beg. I, I want to point something out. You see, Jesus, he always expects us to believe reliable evidence, to believe reliable testimony, if you will. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 12, it tells us afterward he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. This is after the resurrection. He's showing himself to his disciples. It says in verse 13, they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. And what did he do? He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they had refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Jesus expects us to believe reliable evidence. This is an expectation of our Savior for us, that when we listen to truth, that yes, we weigh it, and we hold tightly to that which is good. We recognize evidence for what it is. Jesus doesn't ask us to just step out on nothing. He gives us evidence time and time again. He shows us over and over again who he truly is. Jesus expects us to recognize and to believe. You see, all of us come to a moment when we realize that it's dark out there. It's dangerous in this world that we live in. <clears throat> so we can either add to the darkness or we can bring light, love, and life into it. We choose. We choose where we're going to put our faith. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I'm pleading with you. Give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Life-giving faith Starts with reason. Is God changing your mind? Are you allowing God to change your mind? Are you spending time in his word which produces faith in your heart which then will turn your heart over and over again towards Jesus Christ? If you're not listening to what the word of God said, how are you ever going to know? How are you ever going to explore the evidence? How are you ever going to make an informed decision about who Jesus really is? Sadly, Many aren't even aware of Jesus. And the fact is, we have a wake-up call. We can look around our society, our culture, our nation, and we recognize that, that religion in itself is in decline. There's not one group who believes in Jesus Christ that is not experiencing a decline at this time. Do you know that members of the churches of Christ in the United States in 2006 numbered about 1,247,100. And if you'll look at this list as illustration to show you the decline that has occurred from 2006, 2009, 2012, 2021,094,572. And so the fact is, we're losing an average of almost 11,000 people per year. Just let that sink in for just a moment. If there was a road out here, <laughs> and of all the millions of people who passed over it, small amount even, <laughs> were disappearing, we'd check into that, wouldn't we? We'd say something's wrong with this road. Well, what's wrong? I would say 
Christians aren't reading their Bibles. We're not teaching our children to read their Bibles. We're not making Bible reading, Bible learning a priority. And we're allowing something to take its place. Because anytime you're moving away from one thing, you're moving closer to something else. And in our culture, in the world we live in, we need to recognize if we're moving further away from Jesus, we're absolutely moving into the arms of one who wants to destroy us. His name is Satan. He's clearly identified through the scriptures as your adversary. He wants to demolish your family. He wants to erode the trust that you have in Jesus Christ. And he's going to do it by making sure you have other things to do than read the Bible. Let's make sure that Bible learning is a priority in our home. That we take it seriously and that we look for opportunities to learn. That we look for opportunities to, to, to grow. Our apathy is killing us. And we need to get busy loving and leading and learning one another. If this trend continues... Do you realize that in about 100 years, there's not a church of Christ on this, in this country? Within 100 years, if this decline continues, there's none of us left. Your children's grandchildren. Nobody. What are you going to do about it? This is a challenge for us, is it? To, to say, you know what, it stops right here. We're going to make it a priority in our home. And we're going to, to start studying our Bibles together. And we're going to start checking up on each other and reminding each other. In Romans chapter 12, he, he gives us a pattern. He gives us a, a way to do this. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Don't allow your family to be a statistic. Don't allow your family to walk away from a beautiful, loving Savior. Secondly, we go into assessment, as this father did. Life-giving faith is reason becoming trust. It's a, it's a growth. It's reason that becomes trust. And we've done this in many aspects of our lives, have we not? Reason becoming trust. Life-giving faith must move beyond reason, and it must move into trust. Jesus said, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. You must. And yet, here's this man coming to Jesus for a miracle, and Jesus asked him, will you never believe in me unless you see a miraculous signs and wonders? It sounds harsh. It sounds like Jesus is, is almost being rude to this man. And there's several passages as you go through the life of Christ where it does sound like he's, he's testing someone or he's being he's rude. He's using harsh language at times with people. But I want to remind you that, that Jesus is not like us. <laughs> We're made in his image. He's not always just like us. He speaks to the heart. And he knows what each one of us needs. Remember that he is wonderful counselor. That he's mighty God, that he's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. This is Jesus we're talking about. The creator, the God of this universe. The one. And so here he is and he speaks deeply into this man's heart. <clears throat> and he helps him to move from belief that 
he might be able to do a miracle into trust. Not just believing in the power that he might have access to, but yet who Jesus really is. At this point, this man doesn't have faith in Jesus as the Son of God. All he knows is what he's been told by someone, that Jesus can do miracles. But Jesus doesn't just want to heal the boy physically. He wants to heal the whole family spiritually. And so this isn't harshness as we hear it. Jesus is actually daring this man to look closer. You people won't believe unless you see a miracle. It's actually love. It's actually love. Because Jesus wants to make sure that this guy spends the next 20 mile walk home realizing that his belief must be in Jesus himself. Not in his ability to do miracles, but in Jesus, the Messiah. The miracles, they point to Jesus as Messiah. Jesus is moving this man from mere intellectual belief into personal trust. So he's not just seeing Jesus as a miracle worker, but as the Messiah. He's not just believing what he's heard about Jesus. Now, this man is going to start believing in Jesus. I think about another time when Jesus was was harsh. Back over in Matthew 15, you remember? A Gentile woman, she comes pleading, have mercy, mercy on me, O Lord. Jesus ignores her. He doesn't even look at her. Just keeps going. His disciples, they start saying, hey, send her away. She's bothering him. Don't, don't, don't bother him. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel, verse 24. She came and she worshiped him all the more, pleading, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, responded to her, it's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Man, it's harsh. Man, that's rough. He's saying, come closer. Keep digging. You, you remember when Jacob wrestled with God? And Jacob held on. He said, I won't let you go until you bless me. This nobleman and, and this woman in Matthew 15, they both remind me of that. She replied, yeah, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Then Jesus said, dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Another miracle. <clears throat> you see, life-giving faith is reason becoming trust. Now, I know that there are some skeptics, and, and maybe there's a skeptic among us today who's saying, yeah, but you can't really prove it, can you? you you've got to somehow put trust. At some point, you've got to give up on this, and you've got to move into faith, into trust. And, and some, some of them will say, I want proof. I want absolute proof that this is true. But I, I would say, I, I think that that's disingenuous. I think it's disingenuous to, to somehow say, you know what, I've got to have some kind of proof because we do things all the time that we don't require proof for. And in fact, I would go as far to say, I don't know that, that you can prove absolutely almost anything. I, I mean, let's think about some of the most important decisions we make in our life. Who we're going to marry? Who we're going to marry? Uh, we reason at first, right? We say, well, they, they look nice, they act nice, come from a good family. So I think, I think that this will work. And then we put our trust in that person. It always moves to trust. All of your, your moral obligations that you believe deeply that this is what's important. 
It's because you've reasoned, but at some point that reason gave way to trust. And those moral convictions now, they guide you in your life because you put your trust in them. And usually, especially if you're a Christian, it's because of what you've read in the Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, your moral convictions are going to be swayed by the culture that you're in. And the culture is going to say, well, everything that's right is wrong. Everything that's wrong is right. You're going to lead you astray unless you have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ to guide your life. You base your life on all kinds of things that you can't prove, and you know it. Blaise Pascal, he was a great philosopher. And you'll see it at the bottom of the notes in your bulletin, uh, this illustration. Blaise Pascal, he said, yeah, it might be true that you can't prove that God exists, but you can't prove that he doesn't exist either. And you can only live in one of two ways. You can either live as if there is no God when there might be, or you're going to have to live as if there is a God when there might not be. In either case, you're risking everything. You're betting your whole life on something you can't prove. You're living by faith, whether you're living in an atheistic mindset or you're living by faith in Jesus Christ. In the end, if you have no faith in God and he exists, which I believe he does, you lose everything. You gain nothing. If you put your faith in him and he exists, in the end, you gain everything and you lose nothing. Reason, logic says then that you must choose to live by faith. That you must choose to believe. That you must choose to look at the evidence, to read it carefully and move from reason into trust. To trust God, to trust his son Jesus whom he sent to save your soul. I want to encourage you if you're a skeptic, if you're a skeptic, Open the book. I challenge you to read the book of John. I challenge you to to listen carefully to the evidence presented about Jesus Christ. Last this morning, assurance. Life-giving faith saves by its object, not by its quality. I know this is a challenging statement. Life-giving faith saves by its object, not by its quality, not by its strength. Did you see what happened with this man? Jesus said to him, verse 50, go back home, your son will live. And then what happened? The man believed what Jesus said and started home. (laughs) When this man turned away to leave, to start his long walk home, do you think he was walking with, with satisfaction? Do you think he was walking home with high hopes? Do you think he was thinking, you know, all the way up until this point, any miraculous deed done like this, the the miracle worker had to be present with that person who was sick. Had to be there with them. You think about uh, the the great miracle workers of the Old Testament, Elijah, Elisha. And what did they have to do? They had to physically touch the people. They had to be there. We remember, you know, even laying down on on a person. Remember? They had to be there. And Jesus, he's 20 miles away and he says, your son's gonna live. And the man turns around and he heads home. He's walking back home. I imagine he was scared. I imagine that time and time again as he walked, he thought about going back and saying, are you sure, Jesus? Is this for real? You didn't come with me. Is this right? Which is, I think, why God sent those servants of his to him. To meet him on his way back. 
And he says, what time? <laughs> By the time his servants get there, they're saying, hey, your son's healed. And it's almost like he's like, yeah, I knew that he was going to be healed, but what time did he, did, did he start getting better? <laughs> this is his priority. Because as he's reasoned, he's come to trust. And he started thinking, man, he's not just a miracle worker. If he can do this, he's much more than any miracle worker we've ever heard of. He's much more than any power that we've ever seen. This man just starts walking back. And this is the faith that led to eternal life. Here's why. Because it's the object of your faith, not the quality of your faith or the strength of your faith that saves you. Let me illustrate this with these mountain climbers. Two mountain climbers. This is a terrible story. All right, two mountain climbers. Two mountain climbers. They're climbing a rock face. Something happens. They both fall into this narrow ledge, right? Together, they're trying to figure out which way do we go, right? Holding on, fingernails dug in, toenails dug in. Oh boy, which way do we go? One of the climbers who's, who's more experienced, they, they, they look to the left and the right, and, and this more experienced climber, he says, I have no doubt that this small outcropping of rock on this side will hold us. He says, I'm filled with assurance. This is the way to go. I'm stepping this way. Based on all of my experience, this is the way that we should go. The other climber, he's looking around. He's scared to death. He says, I have no confidence at all. I don't know which way to go. <clears throat> The first climber, he's resolved and he's certain and he steps in the direction that he wants to go. The outcropping of rock is not sturdy and he falls to his death. So the other guy's still hanging on, right? Second climber, he's still uncertain. He's seen what just happened to his friend. He's still scared and yet he steps out onto the rocky ledge in his direction and what do you know? It's sturdy. What do you know? He survives the ordeal. Now here's the question, who was saved? The one who was confident? The one who knew in his heart that he should go the certain direction that did not hold up? No. It was the one who didn't know. It was the one who hoped. It was the one who, who had no idea. But he stepped on the right rock. He was saved not by his confidence, not by his amazing strength of his faith. He was saved because he stepped on the right rock. His salvation had nothing to do with the strength of his faith, had nothing to do with the perfection of his faith in that ledge. His salvation had everything to do with the object of his faith. And this should be really comforting to us because Jesus is the rock. It's not me, it's not you. It's not someone who taught you in the past. It's not no, it's Jesus Christ. He's the rock. He's the one you can stand firm on. He's the one who will give you a foundation to live life and to live life boldly in this world. I'm reminded of another father in Mark 9. Another man has come to Jesus and he's asking for a miracle. Jesus asks, how long has this been happening to him? Mark 9, 21. The father said, the spirit has often thrown him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. And then Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Weak faith is saving faith. Help me overcome my unbelief in his in his confession that he doesn't have faith, he's confessing he does have faith. Help my unbelief. Of course, Jesus heals him. 
Do you have weak faith? That's right where you need to be. Jesus said that faith like a mustard seed could move mountains. Now too often what happens in our minds is we hear this and we think that it's based on my faith. That that somehow my faith has got to be this quality. My faith has got to be this quantity. My faith has to look like grandmothers or or, or papas. My, My faith has to look like this person or that person's. When really what Jesus is showing us through this man, through this nobleman, your faith, yes it needs to grow. But the starting point is just recognizing that Jesus is the right rock. It's just recognizing that you do have a creator. You have a God in heaven who loves you and has done everything he can to bring you home with him. Weak faith is still saving faith. That's why the person just just baptized, coming fresh up out of that water, is just as saved as the oldest, wisest, most spiritually minded saint in the building. Just as saved. It's not the faith, it's the object of of your faith, it's Jesus. It wasn't the man's faith that saved his son, it was Jesus, it's always Jesus. For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So where's your faith? I wanna encourage you not to be crushed under the idea that you've got to have some incredible faith for God to save you, to hear you, Just put your faith, what little faith you might have, in Jesus. And then he will deepen your faith. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you you step over a line. You you say, I want to know more about this Savior. I want to know more about this. You're ready to take the next step with Jesus. And that's what this nobleman did, and that's what he's calling you to do. Ultimately, Jesus is saying to this nobleman, you don't have to give up your son because my father is going to give up his son. You don't have to give up your son because my father is going to give up his son for you and your son and your whole family. And did you remember what he did when he got back? Verse 54, he told his whole family. It says he and his whole family believed. Why? Because the father was able to explain, this is what happened. This is what Jesus did. He is our hope He is our salvation. Now, fathers, let's take that home. Let's take that home with each one of us. And let's encourage faith in our family. And let's encourage those who have doubts to keep on growing in their faith, to keep on developing their faith, to take the next step, whatever the next step might be, towards Jesus. I want to encourage you to deepen your faith by putting it to work plugging into the ministries of this church, serving others, speaking truth. Jesus is calling you to have a faith that works through love. A faith that works through love. And this lesson that we really get from this passage is when you're in trouble, when things aren't going well, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Let Jesus answer you on his own terms. Listen carefully. And when it happens, you tell others what Jesus has done for you. This morning, the lesson is yours. I don't know what your next step might be. You've heard the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. A gospel message that he's inviting you to take part in. Maybe you've believed that and your next step should be repentance. Turning away from an old life of sin and moving towards Jesus. 
Maybe it's time for you to confess that he truly is Messiah. He truly is the Son of God. Maybe it's time for you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe it's time for you to turn back those statistics and remain faithful to a Savior who loves you. Thanks again for listening. If you are in North Alabama, we would love to have you visit and worship with us. Also, if this lesson blessed you today, don't forget to hit the share button and share this message with someone else. Hope you will join us again next week. As we close, here is our prayer for you. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week.